My name is Blair, and I'm glad you're here today at Waypoint. Um, I think that was a highly optimistic song, right? And if we were talking about the love that God has for you, I could probably get on the love don't die train. But for my observations at least, it seems that not only can love die, we have great capacity to kill it. And so it's why, it's why we kind of uh, are doing the series that we're doing. We started this series, remember this is a three-legged stool that represents the foundation you need for great relationships, love, respect, serving. And so the first two weeks, we talked about the different way that people have conflicts, different types of conflicts, all of those kind of skills, because we realize that if you don't get that right, the marriages that ended early violated that. And so we just said, look, if you don't want your relationship to end within five years, you've got you to get this conflict stuff right. And so we talked about that. And then we said, okay, listen, there's another, there's another grouping of relationships that seem to end at around the average time of 16 years, and they didn't do anything to strengthen the foundation. And we talked about turning towards each other. We talked about having a positive mindset towards each other and how that impacts the relationship. Today, we're, we're going to go ahead just a little further, and we're going to look at Something that seems to break up relationships after 25 years. There's a, there's a grouping of people who separate. The average is 25 years. I'm t- I'm, it's perplexed me for years. I watched it happen enough that I came up with my own theory. My theory was that I assumed that they invested too much energy in their kids and didn't have any for each other. It turns out I was wrong. That's a symptom. It's a symptom of the stuff, but the kids aren't to blame. There's actually something else going on. Now, we've been doing this series based on Iron Man. Uh, Iron Man is a race where um, somebody swims 2.6 miles, and then right after that, they bike 112 miles, and then right after that, they run 26.2 miles. Uh, it's a long endurance race, and I have concluded that people who run this race, there's either something seriously wrong with them or they have a deep passion for it that I don't understand. A passion for it that would cause them to at least appreciate, respect, and like the kind of training that you would have to do to be able to complete a race like that. And that, my friends, is something that's very much in line with marriage. You have to appreciate, like, respect the stuff that you have to do if you want your marriage to go the distance. And it turns out the thing that an Ironman racer has, that thing disappears in a relationship if you don't do some certain things and it's discovered around that 25-year mark. Research into marriage has found that what they, what they say is at the bottom of it. There's lots of things that people say are the reason they're getting divorced at that moment. But the, what's at the base of it is this. They lost the passion for the relationship. 
And when they lost the passion for the relationship, they lost the passion to do the things that you would have to do. Like if you were running an Ironman and you had a passion for it, and then you lost the passion for the Ironman, would you keep practicing like you were going to go and run it? You would not. All of that would disappear. And that's what's happened in relationships. That kind of stuff has disappeared. Now, um, I've hesitated uh, because so many uh, people have read and talked about this, but I think what God had in mind for you was when he said, I want to make you one flesh, one body. I want you to be united in such a unique way. He had a picture in his mind. And I've hesitated reading it to you because it gets read all the time, but I can't find a more complete and more complex understanding of what God wants to do in our relationships than this. So I'm, I'm just going to read it to you. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is 4 and then a little bit of 8. Love is patience. I mean, is anybody else frustrated when the list starts off with something that you're really poor at? <laughs> Should I keep reading? Yeah, go, let's keep reading. Love is kind it does not envy. By the way, just, just to put this in the back of your mind, you can flip this, reverse it, and it's true. It does not envy. It, it means it finds a way for you to also see the good in somebody. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor, which means it honors. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs, which means it keeps record of rights. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then he throws this in. Love never fails. Love never fails. This is a complex picture of what God is attempting to do in relationships. By the way, this wasn't even about marriage. This is about how the church would relate to each other. So this is his idea of love. It's just that we're also supposed to have like love in our relationships that look like something of value. It looks that complex. The thing is, I've talked with people who would feel hurt and maybe even angered after I read a list like this. Because their experience tells them that's not what love is. Love is vengeful. Love is always thinking you did the worst. And, and they're, they're looking back in relationships that they had. And this frustrates them. And they, they put the fault on love. I think love has a problem. Um... I don't think it does, and one of the benefits that there is in the 40 years of marriage research that the Gottman Institute has done is they've stumbled across a grouping of people that they call the masters of relationship. These people have been married for a very long period of time. Their relationships are getting stronger. They're very optimistic and enthusiastic about marriage still, even after a long period of time. And so they did a whole bunch of studies on those people's lives. They found some things to be true about them. One, they found that when hard times came into that relationship, it actually made the relationship stronger. It didn't get wore down and beat up by difficult seasons in life. 
that they actually did better together. They also found that they were growing over time and even at the point where they were taking their research, they were still growing their foundation. So all of that time they'd been growing and they were still at it. And here's the last piece. They found out that they still had a passion for the relationship. They had a respect, appreciation, and a like for all the things that you would have to do that would continue to grow the relationship. And they asked themselves, how? How is it that these people have these things and they found something? They found something that they do. Not that they did, that they practice on an ongoing basis, and that's what I want to share with you. I want, I want you to understand that what we're about to talk about is multi-layered, big and small, all kinds of stuff, and it's that way because love isn't a single thing. I just read you a list of how complex and deep and wide it is. You're going to have to probably do a lot of different things for you to properly express your love for each other. They do. They have... They have ways of doing it. And I'm, I'm going to scratch the surface because I'm going to give you four things. I'm going to give you four different categories. I'm going to give you some things under those categories. And it's not a complete list. It's just what we have time for. But I'm hoping that it will generate some thought and it will get you thinking about this uh, because this just isn't about marriage. The, uh, the stuff that we're about to talk about is is something that's valuable in every relationship that you value, period. If you value relationship with your kids, th- um, this stuff is going to make a difference. If you have friendships that are valuable to you, this stuff makes a difference. All along the path, th- these things are of value. We're, I know we're talking about marriage, but they matter, period. Any relationship that you put great value in these things will show up, okay? So um, we're going to put this in a general category. This is, what, this is what masters of relationship do. You can write this down at the top of your paper. If you didn't get that paper, we've got a little um, thing that you can, can we find that uh, QR code to put up there? If you want to scan that with your phone, then you can take notes online. You can do whatever that way. Um, but uh, write this down, top of your paper, Cultivate rituals of connection. Cultivate rituals of connection. That word cultivate is an action word. And it helps us that we kind of live in a community where you've seen this stuff before, where you kind of have to tear up the ground, then you have to prepare the ground, then you have to plant the stuff, then you have to water the stuff, and you have to care for it. Like, it's a lot of work. And that, that's the intent is you're doing stuff, it could be a lot of work, but you're, you're coming up with rituals that allow the two of you to connect. These are layers upon layers of things that you do. It's not just one thing, it's many. And in many cases, these are planned. Like you, you have an organized way that you're approaching this, which some people would say, if, if it's planned, doesn't that kill passion? If you know that there's a plan for it, it's not spontaneous. It's not something you, um, that's not what the research suggests. In fact, I made a small list. Here's what they found that actually kills passion. Constant stress. 
If you've allowed constant stress in your relationship or constant stress between you, probably um, the relationship will lose passion. Brief interactions where you become people who see each other, talk to each other a little bit here and there, but your interactions are minimal at best. And there's nothing intentional. So this is about finding intentionality. Because the danger is if you don't create rituals of connection that one day, 25 years into your relationship, you will wake up and think, I have a roommate and I don't need one of those. Because that's all you've developed up to that point. And there are habits that we have in place right now that are playing out like we're living with a roommate And ultimately, it will bring harm to your relationship. I want you to keep in mind 1 Corinthians 13, but we're going to start going through like these four things that you could do to create, to cultivate rituals of connection. Okay? Number one, write this down. Establish formal rituals. Formal rituals. Um, As boring as that sounds, that's not what they're going after. What they're trying to say is that on, on a year-over-year basis, there are things that are going to hit every year no matter what. Let me give you some examples. Anniversary, birthday, holidays. All, there are certain things that just, they're on the calendar. They're going to happen. You know they're coming. It would be wise for you to find out from the other person what they expect and what you could do to actually make that work for you, like to build some sort of connection around that. I've been, I've been taking some training classes uh, because I want to get better at having couple counseling, and so I've been doing some classes, and part of the class that I'm, I'm doing is to actually let you watch ongoing counseling. You kind of get to see it unfold. And I was watching a session where they were talking about this kind of stuff. And the lady was talking about how she was raised at Christmas time. She, her, her mom gave her up to a different family member. Somebody else was raising her. And Christmas every year rolled around. And the gift that she got was an afterthought. Socks, something like that. The other kids who were that the parents' real kids, they would get front-of-mind gifts, like these grand gifts, cool gifts, all of that sort of stuff. And she imagined in her life that when she got married, on Christmas morning, she would go downstairs and she would find not only uh, extravagant gifts, but a bunch of gifts because somebody who was overwhelmingly loving her and valuing her would do that for her. And he had no idea. Like I was listening to the session. He was like, whoa. Like they were doing bargain shopping like for Christmas for each other. And she had this vision of something else. And he was so grateful to find out that that was the expectation so that he could find a way to meet it and that they could create some great moment year after year with them together because she had communicated her expectations, and now he was meeting them. Like there's, so you find a way to do that, even for like fake ones like Valentine's Day. (laughs) 
stupid sweetest day. Come on, man. Who invented that? But I'm telling you, if there's an expectation in place, you want to know what that is. Because that is a yearly opportunity for you to create something together that nobody else has that strengthens your relationship. This is, this is what you do with friends, family, all of that kind of stuff. This has to happen with your spouse. But I've talked to people who've forgotten their anniversary and that did not go over well for the other person. It's on the calendar every year at the same time. Get it right. Like figure out how you're going to celebrate that together and make it special. It's formal. It happens on a regular basis. This is a chance for you to take regularly scheduled programming and make it dynamic. Do that. It will take a conversation to figure out how you're going to make that something special, but figure out this formal stuff. Talk, plan. Number two, develop informal rituals. Develop informal rituals. Again, love happens in so many different ways. There are so many layers to it. So there's no bounds to this, and by informal what they're suggesting is this stuff doesn't happen on a calendar basis all the time. Maybe you do it um, regularly. It happens enough during the week or it happens um, during a month or once a year and it doesn't happen the same time every year. But because it's happening, you're finding ways to connect with each other that give deep meaning. I'm going to give you some examples, okay? A, annual vacation. It doesn't have to happen at the same time every year, but at some point during the year, you get away with each other where it's just the two of you, no distractions. It could be a long weekend. It, could, it doesn't have to be expensive. It could be somewhere where you go and run a yurt somewhere. I don't care. But you have time with each other, focused attention, annual vacation. B, leave-taking. Let me explain this one. It'll, it'll make sense, and I actually think it's pretty cool. Don't leave every day without knowing at least one thing that they're going to do today that you can pray for and check up on. It allows you to stay connected to their day-to-day kind of, oper- like you know they have a meeting, you know they were going to the doctor, you know they're going to have a conversation with a friend. You know something about that, so that's something that you can pray about, that's something that you ask later on. So you left taking something that allows you to stay connected with them. So leave taking. C, reunion. Is there any kind of expectation when you've been away from each other all day and now you meet again? Uh, my wife used to express those to me, and I thought they were ridiculous, so I just, I just didn't do anything about it. And then <laughs> I found out, oh, my word, this is important. Um, and so, so I started paying more attention, and I listened to, like, it's a lot of stuff. But I do it. So when I get home, I make it like a missile to my wife because she wants to feel um, loved and heard and I give her a hug, I give her a kiss, I want her to know that she's important to me, that I miss being around her all day. I catch up on a little bit of what's going on, and she's happy. But we, we've developed an informal ritual. It's not written down everywhere, and it doesn't happen every day because our lives are too going in different directions at times. But it happens often enough that it's valued. So figure out if there's reunion time. 
Cuddle time. If you're like, oh, see, this is really just about marriage. It's not about... If you're thinking about other relationships, you should think quality time. That's all this is. It's just quality time. You, you read a book together um, or you read different books and you sit with each other, you watch a TV show, and you're just close. That's it. You give each other some quality time. If you can turn it off and have a conversation, great. But it doesn't have to be that. It's just some time. E, meals. This should include meals that you eat out, meals that you eat in. Is there, is there a way for you to create some informal rituals around those? I, I found out this research. At first it surprised me. Then I thought about it and I was like, I should not have been surprised. What was I thinking? 66% of the people in our country right now do not, like their family does not ever eat a meal together. They don't sit down and have a meal together ever. Meals are served, people disperse, spread all over the place. 33% do that. At least one meal, they sit together and talk. But half of those families have the TV on and are paying attention to that. That means 16% of our population listens to each other and talks to each other during a meal. That's it. Uh, that was not the case when I was growing up. It was normal and common for you to have at least one meal with each other, and we often had multiple. If you were on the weekend, you did not eat on your own sitting in the house. Um, if you could find a way, uh, Tracy and I actually realized this months ago before I planned to talk about this, and we have started integrating our, we're attempting to sit down at supper to actually see each other and to talk because it gives space for that. We don't do it every night because, again, our schedules aren't synced up to be able to do that all the time. But we're trying to do it as often as we can. You ought to look at that because it's an opportunity for you. In fact, if you want to blow your mind, go and look at the research on what happens in the lives of kids and students who have a regular meal with their families. You would be shocked, shocked at the outcomes from that little practice alone. It's unbelievable. So you ought to evaluate it. You ought to go and look at it. F, dating rituals. It's not enough to just have meals. The, uh, a date is, man, we're driving away some weather. We have that time to kind of calm down and talk. We have time at that place to go and talk. Or maybe we're going to walk through the woods or something like that. Whatever the date is. And then we have that drive back where you can cool down. You have all of that. It's important. And a lot of people stop. Like, they won. I pursued this person. I won. We're married. Why do I have to keep doing this with them? We're good. Um, there's a ton of benefit in this. In fact, there's so much, we've decided to create an incentive. Here's, here's what we're going to do. From October 14th to October 28th, we're going to ask you to go out on a date with your spouse. Um, it has to count as a date for both of you. So if you're like, hey, let's drive through the McDonald's, and she's like, no, that's not a date. You don't get it. Like, no. But if, if, both of you, if both of you say, yeah, I drive through McDonald's as a date, then I guess it'll be okay. It could be anything. It could be a walk that you're going to go on. It could be whatever. Take a picture of yourselves while you're doing that. Post it to Waypoint's Facebook page. On October 29th, we're going we're gonna to draw a name from all of the people who submitted pictures, and we're going to give you a $100 gift card for your next date. Yeah. 
It's the Cerulean down in Syracuse. It's far away on purpose. You have to drive there together, talk, have a nice meal, drive home. It's going to be great. But this could be an incentive for you to at least try this. Put yourself in a place where you can actually interact with each other. And it's not just this. Um, On November 18th, Waypoint is going to have free child care from 5.30 to 8.30 For anybody else who wants to go on a date, I suppose you could use that for Christmas shopping. Don't. Um, Use it to go on a date with each other, but you could have two months in a row where you could have a pattern where you're actually seeing each other and engaging. Now, I'm going to say this real quick. You have to sign up for the November thing. If everybody just drops off kids, we will not be prepared. You have to tell us how many are coming and their ages so that we can be prepared. Okay? That's good. All right, so um, this this is such a big deal. We're hoping that you'll at least try. Like there's opportunities. Try one of these. Use the Facebook thing as as some accountability to say, yeah, I did this, or to encourage other people to do it if if you're in the habit of doing this sort of thing. But find something to connect on. Go on a date, okay? So um, we've got those, formal, informal, Uh, The next one is really kind of structured, but I think you'll see value in it. Um, Just hear me out all the way. Number three, establish a weekly state of the union. Establish a weekly state of the union. Here's Here's all they're asking for when they make this suggestion. There's 168 hours in your week. Would you be willing to give one of them to make your relationship stronger. Just, it's not even 1% of your time. Now, um, this is very structured. I'm gonna give you four things that you're trying to accomplish in this one hour meeting, okay? So you can write these down. It starts with, what went right this week? What went right this week? If you have a negative view towards a relationship, you're going to have a hard time coming up with what went right this week between us. If you have a negative viewpoint of your life, you're going to have a hard time coming up with what went right in your life. But start with what went right and talk about that. And why did you think it went right? What was encouraging about that? B, express five things that you appreciate. You're telling them things that they did or things that you saw or things that you see in them that you value. And you're giving them some affirmation. Five different things. C, discuss any problems. This is a really valuable kind of a relief valve for some people because some of you stuff stuff in, right? And you know it. And here's the the idea, though. If you're going to be a stuffer, then stuff it in until you get to this meeting and then don't. Like, there's a place for you to have this conversation and bring that out and talk about it because the goal at the end of this thing is that the slate is wiped clean between the two of you, that there's nothing sitting out there that's causing a problem. It could be that the discussed problems could be about the argument that you had earlier in the week and now you want to kind of dissect that. Is there anything that we could have done differently? Is there anything I could have said differently? Is there any way we could have come about this differently? And you find a way to wipe the slate clean and 
There's a sense of positiveness that's restored in the relationship. And then it ends with this, D, end by asking, what can I do next week to make you feel loved? Can you see the value in that? Because sometimes I just don't know what she wants. She's confusing. But if she'll tell me this is what you could do next week, I could probably do that. And so there's value in this for her too, because if I did it, she would feel loved. They're early, they just don't know it. Okay. The fourth one, write this down create shared meaning. Create shared meaning. This one's a big deal. This one is true of every valuable relationship that you have in your life. There is something that you have between each other that's of value because you share a meaning or a purpose. You can actually develop this. So A, develop shared values. I would tell you right now um, that one of the things that rescued my marriage with my wife because I did not treat her well for 10 years early. I did not understand many of these things. Um, we, we just missed on almost all of this stuff I've been talking about through the whole series. But the one thing that we got right that pulled our cans out of the fire was that we both had a passion for Jesus, that we were trying to find a way to honor him with our lives. And so we hung in there with each other because we had a shared value. Your shared faith, the stuff that you believe, the times that you pray, the times that you read the scriptures together, the stuff that you, where you come and you worship together becomes this binding moment for the two of you. You should practice that. It should be something that you develop and that you're serious about. B, share dreams. Not all dreams. In fact, uh, my wife and I are so radically different from each other, we don't have that many dreams in common. I have interests that are different. I'm going all the time, doing some of those things. We're not connected at the hip. We're not supposed to be connected at the hip. We're trying to find a way to have unity. But in in order to do that, there probably should be some common goals. And so we've tried to set a few together where we've dreamed together about something that we could only do if both of us got on board. And so we find shared dreams, common goals. C, We support each other's dreams. We find a way to support. Because there are so many that are different, we're finding a way to go, yeah, despite my my lack of interest in that, I'm still going to come alongside you and help you. I would tell you right now, we're kind of in that season in our lives where my wife's getting ready to go and do a, a career, and I'm changing mine to help her do that. And it's because we have, I'm, I'm finding a way to support the dream that my wife has had because she's been supporting my dreams for so long. This is kind of what happens when you develop shared meaning together. You have these values that come out. It creates a team sport. All all of these things do. 
when you find time to start connecting and valuing each other, see, I'm convinced that God put you together for a reason. I'm convinced he put you in your family for a reason. You have the kids you have, you have the friendships you have, you're working at the job that you're at right now for a reason, and you have an opportunity with those relationships to do something great. The same is true with your marriage. God has you in that relationship for a reason, a purpose. And although love is complex and hard and it's big, you can do a lot of things that would strengthen that if you're willing. So I I hope you'll look at that list and you'll figure out, is there anything that we could add and keep adding and make these layers of connection that would pull us towards a point of unity? And I, I hope you'll do that. I don't know why I feel compelled to point this out, but I have, and at the end of each service, it keeps coming to my mind each time. This is true about your relationship with God, too. If you don't create points of connection through your life, do you really expect to wake up 25 years from now and feel like there's something between you? This stuff, this stuff is about how we live. And I hope, you'll, I hope you'll process that and think about it as we worship together.